Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 99. Welcome to the Secrets of Real Estate Investing Show, where you'll learn powerful strategies from top experts to take your investments to the next level. Here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. We have a very interesting gentleman with us today by the name of Daniel Breslin, who has a very interesting past that um, can't wait for him to tell you about. And now he's doing so much business. He's doing as much as 25 deals a month and sometimes more. So I'm really excited to bring on the show with us today, Mr. Daniel Breslin. Welcome. Thank you, Holly. It's good to be here. I'm so glad to have you. Well, why don't you give our listeners the background on you, um, where you were before you did real estate and how you got into real estate? Cool. So I was uh, a little bit troubled growing up, I guess you could say. I used to do too much of the alcohol and party and stuff like that. Got myself in trouble, ended up crashing a car that did not belong to me and wound up doing about a year in jail as a result of that. Um, that was a, a big wake up call. That was 2005 and 2006. I uh, was kind of stranded, you know, in society. There was, it was really hard to get a job that was going to be a career with a uh, history. And I was kind of blessed to find real estate right around that same time. Uh, that was in the Philadelphia market, 2006. Um, my daughter, when I was away for that year, moved to Chicago with her mom. So I came home and my you know, three, four-year-old daughter was no longer living in Pennsylvania. So it was like uh, weekend visits out to Chicago when we could afford them. Um, it was always a dream of mine to move to Chicago, which I ended up doing in 2015. Around that time, we started doing business in Chicago. That lesson taught me to open new markets, how to how to figure out how to operate in a new market. And then we subsequently went into uh, Tampa, Florida, because it was freezing cold in January in Chicago when I got here. And then we moved to, uh, we do Miami and we do Atlanta. So we're in five markets now altogether. Wow, that is huge. Well, give us a little bit more detail and maybe even your first deal, if you don't mind sharing. Uh, first deal was down to, you know, no money, had a hundred bucks, put an ad in the newspaper. They actually used to be really great lead sources uh, in 2006, not so much anymore. And on day six of a seven day ad, and I'm down to like $20 in my pocket after paying for the ad, I get a call, uh, a really rough part of town, you know, drug activity. There's like um, police tape, you know, on the block. And I get a ride down there with my four-year-old daughter who was in for the summer and uh, couldn't figure out how to con um, comp out the property. But I saw a friend of mine bought one for 6000 around the corner. I thought, well, I can pack in 500 bucks. I'll, I'll give them 5500 They accepted. The friend turned me down. My, he said, I, I'll sell you mine for 5500 My mistake was not buying the one from him because he ended up selling it to the same buyer I found for uh, the eleven thousand five hundred dollars that I sold mine for, so six grand. It was the um, it was the fastest. I can't say it was the easiest because I had kind of been working for six months to develop the skill set to get that deal closed. But that uh, that was a wholesale deal. That was the first one that I closed. It was six thousand dollars. Wow, that's a nice deal, especially with your investment into it, the whatever you spent for the newspaper ad, that's pretty good. You didn't Absolutely. have to go spend like five, 10, 20 grand in direct marketing, <laughs> which some people do to get their first deal. Yeah, that's you're right cool. about that. Well, um, why don't you tell us too about your best deal or favorite deal, if you don't mind? Um, uh, 
I don't really have necessarily a favorite deal. I mean, we've had deals where we bought the property, turned around, sold it, made $170,000 profit on a deal. We've had quite a few where we bought them, turned around and sold them and made 100,000 plus on a deal. Um, our average deal profit margin is about 15 to $20,000 depending on the market right now. So I'm not really partial or falling in love with any of the deals that come across anymore like I did uh, earlier on in my career. All right. And so are you flipping or just wholesaling or what's the focus of your business now? We do all of those deals off market. We do a lot of uh, marketing. We focus on fixing and flipping the cherries, not necessarily like the gut renovations where architectural plans and huge amount of permits and approvals are required. Uh, we look for stuff that we can do for $45,000, get in, get out um, and sell it with mostly cosmetic but then the other 80% of the deals that come through our pipeline, we're simply buying and then reselling those to other investors, make a small spread, like I said, 15, 20,000, and the next guy's making his you know, 35, 45, 50, whatever ends up uh, on that deal. Well, that sounds like a good plan, and that sounds like a good return on investment for you too, without having to go through the whole flip. So what are your main uh, marketing methods that you do to find your deals? Uh, direct mail. Okay. Direct mail is a big winner. Okay, interesting. So what would you say is your most valuable skill? Uh, my most valuable skill at this point, and it's kind of how I developed a business around, uh, with, around the country, is analyzing deals and then participating in a negotiation and kind of feeling out the speed of the negotiation. So I'm paying attention to every single lead that comes through in each of the five markets, and I'm constantly on the phone pulling comps, uh, deciding whether or not we're going to flip a property, deciding whether or not we're going to close on a property using cash, uh, or deciding on whether to wholesale a property or just pass on a property. So evaluating the deals um, and managing the negotiations. And then by doing that in five markets, I've been able to kind of speed up the process. So we have hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of deals uh, in negotiation that I'm participating in. So like when I learn one lesson on a negotiation in Florida, I can quickly usually use that same lesson in somewhere in one of the other markets and like double or triple my ROI on knowledge gained in the negotiation. So it's pretty cool. That's very cool. So do you have um, someone who is like your right hand man or second in command that's learning from you at this point? I'd say there's like five and then through each of those will be my vice presidents for each market. Each of those vice presidents run and manage a lot of the rehabs, negotiations, contract signing, going to settlement, you know, managing the money, paying contractors, things of that nature. And then we have acquisition managers who work with each of those uh, vice presidents in those specific markets. So each team's generally four to five people, I'd say, with, uh, with our assistant who's doing the title work and getting the deals to settlement in each market. Wow, sounds like you have a, a well-run machine. I love it. <laughs> so what is your why and what keeps you going when times get tough? I, uh, I had this time, the market was down in 2009 and I came to visit my daughter in Chicago and I was down, you know, on my money cause I was, you know, up and down with the real estate market at the time. And I remember she, uh, we watched the movie up 
and the dad in the movie's not really there in the movie. And we were doing this like little, there's like a scene at the end of the movie and the old man and the kid are sitting on the steps and they're like eating ice cream or something. And we were walking, me and my daughter, she was eight or nine years old at the time. And she wanted to sit on this bench and just like eat the sunflower seeds we had together. And I like real, I like saw the world through her eyes at that moment that like she saw herself as like, you know, the kid in the up movie and like, damn the dad's not in the movie. So it was like really a driving thing for me to start to like get a whole lot better, a whole lot faster uh, from 2009, 2010 on so that I could move to Chicago. And it's like, now that I'm here for the last three years, the business is like really exploded. You know, a lot of things I, I made to move to Chicago, not based on money. It had nothing to do with like opportunity in the market or a better job or anything, but just to be a father to my daughter. Um, and by doing that, it was like all these other things came and these other markets and the right people. So it was like the growth came as a result of making the right decision for her. That's neat. So how old is your daughter now? Uh, she just turned 16 and we're like doing the driver's test and all that stuff. And it's, uh, it's really cool getting to see her, you know, multiple times a week. She can come here at the drop of a hat, take an Uber. She couldn't take an Uber and we didn't have Uber before, but all the way from Chicago to Philadelphia, it just wasn't an option. Right. That's really neat. That's fun times. I got a kid. He just booked his driver's test for May 29th. So <laughs> yeah, fun times. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you know all about it then. Oh, yeah. He's a good driver. It's fine. <laughs> so how did you identify your business partners? How did you um, find them? You know, I, I believe God put people in your life at the right time. And sometimes I've tried to fabricate that gift from the universe myself and put or decide that people were put in my life, you know? Um, so some of the people just worked out, you know, met them from uh, doing my podcast. We met a lot of my partners and a lot of my private lenders and just people we do business with uh, who bring us deals and everything else through the podcast. People can contact me there and they do come through there and it's, it's been really a blessing there. Um, but yeah, some of the other ones I thought were, uh, a gift from God, you know, we tried to open up in a few markets that failed and we've had to let go of a few people along the way. I like to kind of consider like if I couldn't have a hundred thousand dollars is usually a pretty good amount of money for somebody. If I couldn't have that kind of money on a handshake in one of my partner's bank accounts while they left the country for a week or two on a honeymoon, if I can't feel that I have that level of trust with them, then I shouldn't be doing business with them. So like that's kind of been my barometer of the question I ask myself with the people that we do business that I partnered with uh over the years but things like um things like going to the real estate investor network and events that's where i met my first uh partner first lend you know lender that funded one of my rehabs and i was still getting a ride by my dad there when i met him and uh took taxis and to meet him at properties and deals um so you know there's really no limit i guess to where the potential partners could come from have you ever had a partner do wrong by you? I mean, obviously it sounds like you had some that it didn't, the business itself didn't work out well, but has anyone ever cheated or stolen from you since you talked brought that up? I mean, it's, it's hard to say. No one's really ran off like that with, you know, the entire business. We've had to break some partnerships up and there's, you know, there's uh, probably deals that got done without my knowledge somewhere along the way in there. Um, you know, we, me personally, I'm party to 
if I look at my board, there's like 85 deals on the board right now that we're like in the middle of. So like one deal is not really going to kill me. I know I hear those stories and the nightmares from people who are like early on in the business, or maybe they tried real estate a little bit and got burned. And it's like, you know, the, the best answer I came up with to like dealing with bad partnerships, of course, getting out helps. Um, but you got to do many, many deals, like many, many deals. You can't just do one deal. You got to get it around in your mind. And it took me years to really get there, like strong and knowing that that was my belief that led to success, but do many deals. Um, so that when one falls apart, you can balance out any losses with many more gains, ideally. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and if you don't have losses, you're probably not taking enough risk or doing enough deals because you're in this business long enough, taking enough risk, you're going to have a loss. Yeah. True enough. So, and on that same note, how do you be a good business partner? How would you answer that question? I would say to be proactive, try not to ever pass the buck. Obviously, be somebody who adds more value to the table uh, than you're taking. So, you know, any one of the podcasters for the most part, we're adding value to our audience. That's why we do this. That's why I do my podcast. We want to just put as much out there as we possibly can. So if you, if you kind of take that mentality, that's how I've identified some of the business partners who came through the podcast. A lot of people uh, would come through the podcast, networking event, et cetera. And they're, well, I want to do business. Let's partner on deals. Let's partner on deals. But when it comes down to it, um, you know, there were a few people who shined because they were adding value. They were, you know, emailing resources over, making email introductions. They were just not asking for anything in return, but like just uh, giving, giving, giving. And it was like, wait, wait a minute, I have to pay attention to this person. Let's let's go grab lunch. Let's see if this is supposed to be something more. So um, adding value to the people around you, being trustworthy and being proactive and just getting stuff done uh, ahead of time. Even when you're not asked to in the partnership, I mean, I think that's probably the best uh flip side answer to that question very well said i totally agree so how do you fund your real estate deals so many of the deals we do are assignments so i'm funding it with the buyer's money and often doing a double closing or just doing an assignment uh, we often fund using our own cash. We have plenty of cash now from being in the business for, you know, 12 years or so. Uh, and then we also fund the deals with private investors. And one of the cool things that we have for our private investors is uh, these are wholesale deals. So like quick. So we'll pay 10% interest to our lenders. And that's like not all that sexy if it has to sit for uh, six months or nine months. It's not like this great return for a lot of investors. They can get more, a little, slightly more, maybe some points and things like that. Um, but we'll have a lot of deals where we'll fund, you know, we'll take their $100,000 for three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, a very short period of time. They have to do the paperwork back to back. So that's a little bit of a hassle, but we pay them a three month minimum interest payment. So it works out where they're kind of getting points on the money. Um, so our investors are happy with those kind of deals, but it does make it a little less attractive for them when they're funding the fix and flip projects for us. Yeah. Okay. And do you do any other investments other than real estate? I, uh, I invested in a couple people's music careers and we have some hip hop artists under our labels. So we do that. We've invested in some shows and we've had some, uh, really cool experiences with, you know, Grammy award winning producers and stuff. The, the investments have not necessarily worked out all that well in my favor so far, but we did have a good time. I mean, my, uh, I didn't even know any of the artists. I'm not going to mention your name on here, but, um, I'm on stage 
like taking a video of some artist, and then like my daughter, who's who was 15 at the time, she thought it was the coolest thing ever because like she knew all these artists. They're like big and they're on the radio, and we're like hanging out on stage with them. That's um, fun. So, so we do some of that, but uh, I've gotten into and hurt on. Um, some stock investments, you know, just really small ones. I think I fall, have fallen into a little bit of a shiny object syndrome. I didn't put a lot of money into those directions, but I think a lot of people who have found success in certain area, um, like myself in the real estate business, um, maybe we think that we could have success where that would automatically equate to success in other realms like investing in stocks or the cryptocurrency mm -hmm. space. A lot of us ran out there and I, I put really, really small amounts of money in both of them, but both of them went down the cryptocurrency bet and the, uh, the stock market play. So I guess the lesson there in that question you're asking me there is just to kind of stick in the lane. And, and, you know, even though when you start to find success with something, it tends to, it could, it could sort of develop a bit of boredom stick with it. That's, that's the vein of gold that you have to dig deeper and truly exploit. Agreed. <laughs> nice. So what is your um, personal assessment or prediction of where the market's going? Like, do you think the market's going to crash or how long do you think we have with it? I would say that we're not going to, I've gotten a handful of mortgages. I bought like 15 rental properties um, in the last year or so. So I've had to refi a handful of those out. And I've gone through the underwriting process now and I've gone through the underwriting process in 2005 and two, or 2006, 2007. Uh, and they're two totally different worlds. So I don't think I'm of the, oh my gosh, we're gonna see a crash here anytime soon. And the other thing is that the baby boomers, children's, the millennials are starting to come into the home buying years. So while some markets may be overheated, overpriced and start to see a cooling off, like I don't think we're going to see a wholesale crash throughout the entire United States. Uh, certainly not any time in the next, I would say maybe 10 or 15 years until the underwriting bubble has a chance to have been forgotten by the underwriters and, you know, the, the younger generation takes over again to create something as catastrophic as we had. Will we see a cooling off? We might see a cooling off, I think, two to three years out um, before the, the starter homes start to transfer uh, and, and those people are going to want to step up into the larger, higher priced homes. But I still don't think we're going to see anything that's uh, – that's crash worthy here in the next two or three years. Well, and you kind of answered my next question. I was going to ask you, do you hold real estate? And you just mentioned you bought a lot of rentals recently. So you have a lot of buy and hold properties as well. I do not care for them very much. Um, they are more like a savings account for me. I sort of think of it like money that I'm just going to put aside. This is not Although I read Robert Kiyosaki's book and, you know, we wanted to replace our income with the rental properties. I never really viewed that as like a pathway to freedom just because I had been around enough of these other landlords with 40 units, 60 units, 100 units. And they're telling me they're making no money because of the cost of the turnovers and things of that nature. That's been my experience also with them. But I buy as a, an investment philosophy, I'll buy properties in the path of gentrification. So I'm looking for properties I believe will ideally double in value within seven years, regardless of what the outside market does. And so far, I, I accidentally bought two properties that don't really fit that parameter. Um, but I bought uh, however many other ones that are in that um, parameter that did already go up in value by like 40% in the last eight, nine months. So it's been, it's been, wow, pretty, that was a, some good buys right there. Nice. And the funny thing about it, Holly, they felt like completely full retail. I'm, I'm a wholesale buyer. I'm, I'm always buying them at 
record-breaking low prices sometimes. Um, but uh, I felt like I was overpaying for those properties when I bought them. I thought, this is just too much money. These properties are not worth what I'm paying. And now I look back a year later. <laughs> and you say, can I have some more? <laughs> yeah, I didn't buy 10. It was, uh, you know, but it's it's been a challenge though, just um, not being able to afford the repairs and the upkeep, but just like the emotional, um, the emotional like, problem weight if you will of checking the statements and the tenants are paying late and now we're gonna to have to evict them and we had some issues with the property manager so it's been uh it's been not the greatest experience overall other than the value of the properties going up yeah at least you got that little shining part of it True enough. the other challenges <laughs> yeah so now I'm curious too, do you have any female partners or females on your team? And how do you feel about women in the real estate investment world? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, I feel we don't have women doing the acquisitions on anything. We have a lot of women who are working, you know, in our office staff and are and dealing with uh, the sellers kind of face to face. I feel as though women in real estate, if they're, if, if they're in a fix and flip, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think it's going to be challenging and I'm sure there's challenges with contractors. I'm sure there's challenges with um, the code enforcement. If they're face-to-face interacting with them, I'm sure the contractors try to take, take advantage of the situation. I think that's really commendable like you to, um, you know, to build what you've built so far and, and overcome some of that stigma. But then on the flip side, I feel like women in real estate are absolutely gifted when it comes to the emotional needs of dealing like with buyers and more on the retail side, especially with retail listings. I mean, it's just a night and day difference to have. Um, so all of our agents that are um, producing and selling our properties are flips. That is not the stuff that we wholesale. Uh, all women hands down, better situation. They're dealing with the negotiations better. They're reading into the emotions that are going on much better. It's just an all around better experience for everybody in that situation. Cool. All right. Thanks for sharing all that. Really interesting insights. Well, as um, we're getting near the end of our show, I want to tell our listeners about our free download this week, which is really awesome. Daniel is generously putting out um, the full PDF of his book, Become a Wholesale Real Estate Master, Buy and Sell Houses with No Money. I I think I got that title right, right? Pretty enticing, pretty appealing. (laughs) So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's in your book and what, um, what got you to write it? Well, a few years ago, sitting in Philadelphia, I wanted to kind of duplicate myself so that I could move to Chicago and the business wouldn't burn down in Philadelphia when I left it. Because at that time, it was me going out to every living room and I started to discover that I could invest and, and I got better at direct mail and writing marketing and you know pulling lists and things so I could produce more leads than I could run out on um, and started, started to create the bigger opportunity that I have now. So this was kind of like a combination of my business plan and like taking a Xerox photocopy of my mindset at the time so that the people around me uh, just in my own organization could read that and at least be brought up to speed on the basics of what we're doing. Um, we've since gotten you know a whole lot more advanced in the way we approach things, but I have people who we used to sell this book for like $97 for a digital download. And I just had a guy actually buy one over the weekend. I thought <laughs> it was for sale somewhere. And I'm like, I'm in a conundrum because I want to refer him to the podcast. But when people sign up at my podcast site, they get a free download. Also the same way we're doing for your listeners here. Um, 
viewers rather. And, uh, and so I'm like stuck. I don't know where to tell them. Refund <laughs> is 97 bucks. I don't even know where the, the PayPal went anymore. I don't think I have access to the account or anything. So, um, that, that's what it was. It was basically our business plan. And I have partners now who are running markets who originally like bought that book and read that when it was for sale for 97 bucks. And that was kind of like their seed into the business. Cool. So listeners are getting a $97 book for free. Thank that's you. Right. That's super generous. <laughs> Thank you. So if you guys want to get that, you can go get it on my site at hardhatholly.com forward slash 99. We are show number 99. Nice. And um, if you would prefer to get it, a link through text on your, if you're just on your phone, just whip out your phone and you're going to text hard hat with no spaces between it, hard hat to the number 38470. That's to 38470. Text hard hat. And once you sign up there, I'll give you a once a week reminder when our new shows go live and new downloads are available. So Daniel, as we're getting near the end here, what's your advice for people that are thinking of getting started or have gotten started and maybe feeling a little discouraged? What's some advice for them? I mean, you got to be persistent with anything in life. The rewards don't come fast and furious uh, the way that people see like in, in our business here, we've been around for 12 years and now it looks like it's very easy from the outside and people know our names in each of the markets that we're operating. So if you're thinking of just getting started or you're getting started and it's not quite working yet, uh, stick with it. Get around the right people who are doing the things you're going to do. Uh, try to add value to the partners. This has been absolutely life-changing for me and my family and all the people in my organization. And at this point, Holly, I mean, when I was trying to move to Chicago, you know, part of the why was I need to make some money to move out there. And it was kind of like money-driven. I know for a lot of people, it is money-driven when you first get into the business. Um, but then I guess for me personally, I'll just kind of share this. I've reached a place where like, it's not a big deal. Like when you asked about my favorite deal or whatever. Nothing jumps to mind because like the favorite thing for me is like the guy who's been working at this for the last like year and year and a half, something like that. And he's kind of been like an, an assistant of mine in the company, but we're like training him up to be more of like a partner. Um, and he closed his first deal uh, two weeks ago, something that referred like four months ago, I finally closed. And like my satisfaction these days comes from seeing him, you know, get that payday and like knowing that this is real for him and how hard he tried and like the skills he developed. So like for me, helping my, my partners and other people like accomplish their goals and seeing their lives change has been hands down, like even more rewarding than the money. You still have to have the money to pay the mortgages and the bills and, you know, drive a nice car and all that. But helping other people succeed has been just such a blessing in my life. I'm so grateful for that. That's awesome. And I almost forgot, I want you to tell about your podcast. So what is your podcast called? Cool. Appreciate that. I am the host of the REI Diamond Show, the real estate investment, Jewels of Wisdom. I am strictly value add there. I don't do any coaching. I don't do any, you know, seminars or anything like that, even though the audience sometimes is sending me to emails begging me to do so. Uh, I, like yourself, just love getting, you know, the experts from around the country on, we, we do, uh, ours are strictly audio, so we're on like uh, the podcasting sites and things of that nature, but we just have a discussion just like we did here today for 45 minutes or so. Best practices, you know, it's it's kind of like my own personal mentoring session is how I, how I view it myself. So I've really developed a, an 
much higher state of mind and approach to real estate investing as a result of doing the show. And the best part is that we record it and made it available to everybody. So if anybody is interested in checking that out, you could just visit www.reidiamonds.com. And there's also a uh, contact me box that I personally review everyone who submits there. So that's the best way to get in touch with me as well. Awesome. Well, you answered my next question. So yeah, listeners, go check out REI Diamonds. I'm sure it's on whatever podcast player you're listening to, iTunes or whatever. Go check out his podcast and get the jewels of wisdom. Love that. Jewels of wisdom. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your personal experience with your business and being such an inspiration and encouragement to everyone else. So thank you so much, Daniel. Absolutely. I really appreciate you uh, having me on the show. It's been a wonderful time, Holly. Thanks for listening today. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review our show. And let us know in your review what you'd like to hear more of. For the show notes and free downloads for this episode and all others, go to hardhatholly.com.